Dublin's electricity system needs an upgrade. Our population is growing and our energy usage is too. That's why Airgrid, state-owned operator of Ireland's electricity transmission grid, is powering up Dublin. We're shaping Dublin's electricity future, upgrading underground cables to future-proof our power system and bring more renewable energy onto the grid. Find out more at airgrid.ie forward slash Dublin. Airgrid, delivering a cleaner energy future. Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. Uh, now, the peopling of America has been a hot topic. After all, there are no written records and scant archaeological evidence to tell us what happened or how it took place. There have been many different models put forth to explain how Americans got there, but recent strides in the field of genetics are upending some long-held assumptions. Jennifer Raff is an associate professor of anthropology at the University of Kansas and author of Origin, A Genetic History of the Americas. She joins me now. Um, Welcome back to the program, Jennifer. It's great to have you. Um, What is the, um, the current thinking when it comes to people, humans, homo sapiens arriving in America? Well, I guess I should say thinkings, because there are a couple of different models out there, and which model you favor depends on strongly on which um, archaeological sites you find persuasive. Um, so, right now there are, I guess, I would say two kind of um, extreme models, and then one one in the middle. The first, on the one extreme, you've got a group of archaeologists who maintain that people arrived in the Americas rather late, so maybe just before about fourteen thousand years ago. Um, and then on the other extreme, um, you've got archaeologists who believe that people came into the Americas probably very, very early, maybe as early as 130,000 years ago. <laughs> I want to stress that's a very small number wow. of archaeologists. Yeah, it's not um, that's not the mainstream consensus at all. Um, and then sort of in between there, you've got a group of archaeologists and most geneticists who think that the Americas were peopled um, between about maybe 16, 17,000 years ago, or perhaps as early as 25,000 years ago, kind of depending on which archaeological sites you think are, are um, legitimately dated. <laughs> so, How can you tell if a site is legitimately dated or not? Yeah, it's, it's tricky, right? So to accept a site as a sort of legitimate evidence of human presence at a particular point in time, you have to have an acceptance of the evidence for them being humans, right? So if a rock is fractured in a certain way, was it broken by humans or was that the result of natural processes, right? Um, and that's a huge debate in archaeology for a lot of these early sites about 25, 30,000 years ago. But there has been recently published a new site in New Mexico that has evidence of human footprints spanning a period of about 2,000 years. And this is really really remarkable because they've been dated by means of these little seeds embedded in their foot in the footprints to uh, between about 21 and 23,000 years ago. Now there are a fair number of archaeologists who criticize those dates and say well you know there are um, biases in the dates that make them appear to be older than they really are and so this is an area of active discussion right now among archaeologists but if these dates hold up that's uh, really a model a paradigm changing find for our field. Right. Um, this is the White Sands site you're talking about. That's right. Yeah. In New Mexico. Um, wh- where do the seeds come from and um, how are they relevant to the footprints? So these seeds have been embedded in the footprints. There's um, 
a so these footprints were on the basically on the shore of an ancient lake which would have been really muddy and so they're beautifully preserved and the seeds were actually just seed, plant seeds that happened to have been embedded in the in the footprints and so they're in the same layers as these footprints and they provide uh, carbon radiocarbon dates of these really great ages um, but unfortunately this particular plant um, tends to can return um, dates that are older than they actually appear because it's taken up old carbon. Um, the archaeologists who excavated the site have controlled for this, they say. So we'll have to wait and see when they get um, more dates out, uh, whether or not they hold up. But for now, it seems to be very intriguing. And I, I'm really excited about this find. So th that sort of upends traditional thinking of when humans made it to America. It would, yes, because what was going on between 21 and 23,000 years ago was the peak of the last glacial maximum, which was a climactic event of coldness and dryness. And at that point in time, most of Northern North America was covered by a massive ice sheet that would have prevented movement um, into the continents. So in order to get to New Mexico by that period, people would have actually have had to come a bit earlier, say about 25,000 years ago. And that opens up all kinds of intriguing possibilities. The earliest dates we have for humans in Siberia, which is where um, they must have come from, is uh, about 30,000 years ago. Um, and there are people living above the Arctic Circle at that time point. So one can imagine a scenario where you have people crossing the Bering Land Bridge from Siberia and getting into North America that early. But genetics shows us that the main migration that contributed to Native American ancestry probably took place later, so maybe about 16, 17,000 years ago. So this is a really intriguing puzzle. We have some clues from the genomes of ancient South Americans that could resolve this, clues of an older ancestry that might represent an earlier migration. And so we have, we geneticists have a lot of work to do to try to reconcile all of these different puzzle pieces and try to figure out what the new model for the peopling of the Americas might be. Tell me how that works. How can genetics tell you where people have been and when? Well, it, it can't tell you directly anything about geography, but what genetics shows us is that there was a period of isolation um, of the ancestors of Native Americans and that this period of isolation took place, again, also at the height of the last glacial maximum. So one of the models suggests that perhaps people are isolating in Beringia itself on the southern coast of what we think of as the Bering Land Bridge. We don't have direct archaeological evidence of that, of course, because it's underwater now. So um, archaeologists have been looking at multiple candidates for where this, this isolation could have taken place. I'm still favoring Beringia right now, but some argue maybe it took place in East Asia. Others suggest perhaps maybe it was taking place in North America itself, and that's why we see people at White Sands that early. I think we're not really sure right now, and so that's what makes working in the field right now such an exciting prospect. So what happened then after 18,000 years ago? So a, a number of branches of this ancestral population emerges during this isolation period, and we know that one of them gave rise to the first people south of the ice sheet. And we see um, evidence in the genetic record of very rapid population diversification. Um, lineages are splitting off from each other. And this is a pattern that we expect to see when people are moving into a new area and geographically dispersing. This Thriving, geographic... essentially. Yeah, exactly. And this 
this dispersal took place probably, at least the genetics suggests, sometime between 17 and 14,000 years ago. There are a number of candidates for early archaeological sites dating to between 14 and 16,000 years ago. This suggests to a lot of us that people were moving along the West Coast by boat, the West Coast of Alaska and North America by boat, which would have been possible because that ice sheet was melting back from the West Coast early about 17,000 years ago. And so all of these pieces seem to fit together. This rapid migration, the signal for rapid migration we see in the, in the fossil record, or the, excuse me, the genetic record, these archeological sites that are popping up this early and um, the, the evidence, the environmental evidence showing that would have been possible to travel by boat along the West Coast. The only thing that's really standing out right now to counter this is this early site at White Sands. And so we're gonna have to figure out how to reconcile these models. And and I'm sure there will be lots of vivid and active debate uh, over that because I know um, almost every archaeologist I have on the program has a beef with some other archaeologist with a <laughs> with a differing claim. Um, it's not just human DNA though that we use to try and piece together the the broken puzzle of our past, isn't that right? That's right. We can get DNA from all sorts of sources, including environmental DNA. So you can get DNA from soil and see what kinds of plants and animals were present at different time periods in a particular geographic location. You can also get DNA from organisms that were associated with humans, like pathogens, and also, charmingly, I think, dogs. And it's really fascinating to me that how much dog um, genetics has matched human genetics and that you see these branching patterns in dog genomes that mirror those of human genomes. And it is kind of a, a, another set of data that kind of reinforce that the models we are looking at seem to be um, those of the, the initial migrations of the first peoples, or at least the main migrations. And uh, they brought dogs along with them. And it's really wonderful to see these, uh, these mirrored. When you were um, looking back in history through the various um, stories and archaeological digs uh, and tracing back DNA, are there cultural sensitivities that you need to be aware of before you publish your work in terms of Native Americans, um, history of, of Europeans coming and so on? D does that ever come up as an issue? Do, do any of your findings maybe contradict uh, received wisdom through, through culture or history? Oh, yes, this is a very important um, aspect of working in this field, that one has to be mindful that indigenous peoples have their own origin histories. And I say that very deliberately because I think that there is a tendency among um, scientists, non-native scientists, to to denigrate in some ways these these origin stories the, and, and by saying, oh, they're just mythologies or, you know, in many cases, these histories have a lot to tell us about population histories and movements and relationships. And uh, often they're found to be very accurate from genetic um, or archaeological evidence. In some places, in some cases, they don't match. And when that is the case, um, I think it's incumbent on us as researchers to be respectful of that and to simply acknowledge that there are differences and we, you know, it's not our job to reconcile them. They don't necessarily need to be reconciled, but to be respectful of this, because in the history of scientific study of indigenous people's origins, there has been all too often a history of abusive um, treatment of indigenous peoples, of taking their ancestors' remains or taking their, their um, objects without permission, using them for purposes to which present day communities have not consented. And so part of the 
point of me writing this book was to present not just the histories reconstructed from genetics and archaeology, but also the story of how we achieve this knowledge and the broader cultural questions that are raised by research. I think these things are intertwined and you can't understand the whole story or do good work in this field without um, understanding all of these these different issues. You said that sometimes the, the mythology or the legends of um, indigenous people matched um, the scientific record. What, what do you mean by that? Do you mean that sometimes there's stories of great flooding that actually match up to, to, to great floods based on when the story is set or, or how the story is set? What, what do you mean? Yeah, so I opened my book with an example of the study of a, a man who was recovered from a, a cave on the Prince of Wales Island. And his remains were found scattered throughout this cave. And there weren't very many, just to be clear, just a few few isolated um, uh, bones. And the archaeologists who did this research consulted immediately with present-day peoples who live in that area, whose lands those are. And these people said, well, you know, it's okay to do this work, but let's do it together and let's do it carefully. And so it was a really positive example of collaborative research, which I think we could all learn from. But... The um, initial DNA evidence from this man was just mitochondrial, which is a maternal lineage that you can recover from the mitochondria of your cells, separate from your nuclear genome. And that mitochondrial DNA suggested he was not their ancestor. It was a, um, a lineage that's not commonly found among these peoples today. But when they and the people said, well, no, we know he's our ancestor. He lived in ways that we do today. And actually, when geneticists were able to go back to return to his genome and, and recover his entire nuclear genome, they found that these indigenous peoples were right, that he was, in fact, closely related to them, ancestral to them. And so one often finds that um, these these histories that indigenous peoples put forward does actually quite often match the the genetic data or the archaeological data doesn't always but but often enough that i think it's really really important that we scientists um make sure that we are are very humble and conscious of the fact that we don't have all the answers we're coming into a situation where we can offer some additional perspectives but we shouldn't claim to be the experts on other people's cultures and histories necessarily well, uh, Jennifer Raff, Associate Professor of Anthropology at the University of Kansas and author of Origin, A Genetic History of the Americas. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you so much. Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk.